following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Aren't you glad I don't say good morning, Vietnam? Good morning, everybody. What a joy to see you. Hey, hey, it's church time. Now, let me tell you something about Christian life. We love church, and uh, we like church all the time. I, uh, when I was a young evangelist, I used to preach Sunday, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, let the women fix their hair on Saturday and come back Sunday. And uh, they went and got, got their hair done. So that's, that's what I was raised in. So when we just have church twice Twice a week, it, it's, a, it's a long week for me. And when we didn't have church Wednesday night, although some of you came dressed for church Wednesday night, because I found out we've got a lot of hearers and not listeners. <laughs> Amen. Didn't we have fun Wednesday night, though, you that were here? Wasn't that a good night? I love it for our kids. Well, I guess our kids enjoyed it. Amen. I love it for our kids. It's an awesome evening. And uh, I, came, I came Wednesday night with a Vermont cap on. And with a hoodie, and I walked through the midst of the people, and they didn't even know who I was. That felt pretty good. Felt pretty good. I got me my first hoodie, folks. I'm 70 years, 71 years old. Got my first hoodie. I feel, I feel rad. <laughs> that how you do it? I got a hoodie, and I flip it up, and I don't think you're supposed to tie the strings, <laughs> so I let them hang. God at Cape Cod, me and Cape Cod are, are good. I paid 20 bucks for it, and I probably overpaid. I love all of you. I don't know what all that meant. I'm just talking. <laughs> Would you stand? You're incredible people, and I love you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak today on something that I feel very devoted to and devout about, and that is the, the words domesticated, are radical, domesticated or radical. And we're going to talk about this in the light of the end time, in the light of where we are in history, and in the light of where we are in this earth. So I want you to lean in, pay attention. I will lay a, a pretty long foundation with this, but I want you to, to grasp it and get a hold of it and walk out of here saying, you know what, I heard the word of the Lord today. I don't know exactly where he is sitting, but Shannon Dean, one of my dear friends, a minister, lost his wife recently and came to church here today to fill his cup up. And would you give Shannon Dean a hand of appreciation for being in the house today? Amen. All right. I won't be lengthy. I'll tell you that again and again and again because I'm really not going to be lengthy today. I hope I'm decent. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to help him. And I hope he is decent today. You may be seated. How many of y'all watched Rocky, the Rocky movies? How many did they make? 72 of those? <laughs> Boy, they made a bunch of them, didn't they? Old Sylvester just said, I need a little more money. I need a little more money, so I'm going to make another Rocky movie. But Mick, in the third Rocky, made the greatest statement ever. He said, then the worst thing happened that could have happened to any fighter, you got civilized. You got civilized. Is that on the board? Yeah. That is a great line. I love Mick. 
I love Rocky. I, I will admit I watched them all. In fact, I did a series years ago on Rocky. <laughs> now, Jephthah, the Bible speaks of a man named Jephthah in the book of Judges who was a Gileadite, and he was a, the Bible calls him a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. Gilead had a father who had, who had other sons with his wife, and they grew up, and Jephthah was the outcast, and they kicked him out and said, you shall have no inheritance from our father. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in a land of Tob. Worthless men banded together with Jephthah, and they went raiding. They became vigilantes. It came to pass, the Bible said, that the people of Ammon made war against Israel, and when this happened, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah in the land of Tob. And they said, come and be our commander, watch this now, that we may fight the people of Ammon. And Jephthah said this in verse 7. He said, did you not hate me, and did you not expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that's why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be the head over the inhabitants of Gilead. From that backdrop and from mixed statement to Rocky, I want to preach a little bit today on this subject, domesticated or radical. To belong to God, folks, is to belong to his heart, not just his movement, but his heart. To claim we believe is simply not enough. The call of Jesus is one that demands action. See, Jesus began his public ministry with a simple invitation. He said, come and follow me. His closing instructions to his disciples were summed up in one word. He said, go, go. But a quick survey of the modern church would lead us to believe that his invitation was simply no, not go. But actually, Jesus called his followers into what I call an unconventional war. Will you say it with me? Unconventional war using only the weapons of faith, hope, and love. Notice, I said war. Folks, we're not in a game today. This is war. And Jesus must become the all-consuming passion of our lives if we're gonna win this war. And today, I'm afraid that far too often we try to introduce people to the church and not to Jesus. See, meeting Jesus is not the same as meeting the church. Granted, you may meet Jesus in the church or in the sanctuary or in the hall, but Jesus has little to do with religion, positions, or organizations. The term Christian has lost its true feel. Thank you for that applause. It's better than a clap, a golf clap. Thank you. But the dictionary, dictionary.com, calls a Christian one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. That's not Jerusalem, that's Antioch. At Antioch, they sent out missionaries to carry the gospel to the far reaches of the known world. At Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went and were commissioned and they promptly went out and turned the world upside down, three missionary journeys. But David said it best in the book of Psalms, one of my favorite passages and I've quoted most of my ministerial life. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Get happy in the Lord. 
and he'll, he'll, he'll give you the desires. The scriptural imperative is that we should delight ourselves. Not that the Lord should necessarily make us happy, but we delight ourselves in him. This brings me to a question. How do we delight ourselves in the Lord? Being a spirit-filled Christian cannot mean just becoming a Christian. What I need to know about myself is this. Am I, hear me now, a passionate follower of Jesus? Am I just a follower, just come to church out of duty, or am I a passionate follower? See, when the, the Pentecostal experience becomes just another word, it loses its veracity, it loses its flavor, and focuses on just requirements. And pastors then spend so much of their time just trying to keep people in line instead of taking them to the throne and letting them see the miraculous hand of God in their life. It happens very, very innocently. We just get civilized. We get civilized. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm just telling the truth here today. And it's hard to imagine that Jesus would endure the agony of the cross just to keep us in line. Jesus began a revolution to secure our freedom. In the new covenant that he brought into effect, he teaches us about, say the word transformation. transformation. Say transformation. transformation. So Corinthians said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I'm not preaching about evolution. This is about transformation. We're not evolving somewhere. We're being transformed by the renewing of our hearts and our minds. Somebody needs to delight themselves in the Lord and get passionate about serving Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, as I look back over my life, I was raised in this. I used to go to sleep under the front pew, Brother Bob. I used to go to sleep under the front pew of the church. <laughs> Mom would wake me up, say, son, it's over. And I said, ooh, it felt good tonight, Mom. <laughs> but I can remember experiences that I had with God during those times. Sermons I heard preached that transformed me. Things that made me say, I want to do better. I want to make it right. Maybe just temporarily, but it worked. I remember a young man in a church that a first pastor, and I couldn't spell pastor. You've heard me talk about the Dallas church. What a place. Seven years I stayed there, and I learned everything I ever needed to learn about pastor. And one day in my memoirs, I'm going to write about that church because they taught me everything I needed to know in seven years. God, God perfected everything that I knew was going to happen in my life. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And everything that could happen right went right. But this man that came in wasn't a cookie-cutter person. He lived for the devil hard, and now when he, when he got saved and filled with the Spirit, he was going to live for God even harder. And the first thing he wanted after he got transformed, he came to me and he said, can I get a bottle of oil from you? And I said, what for? He said, because all my kinfolks need to be anointed. They're all devils. They need to become saints. So I, I suckered and I gave him a bottle of oil. But he didn't go just to his kinfolks. He went to ICU units. He went downtown on the street. He started laying hands on everybody, and some of them didn't like it. Some of them did. He didn't even know how to pray properly. The man was so young and so green. He taught Bible studies to his kinfolks and didn't know the word. He called me one night on his first Bible study. He used to teach this little 12-step Bible study called Into His Marvelous Light. And I gave it to him, and he said, Pastor, I have gone from Genesis to Revelation in 15 minutes. He said, I've got the Lord already coming. I don't even know how the world was created, and i got the Lord already coming. 
He said, can you come over and straighten out this mess? And churches around our world have a way of domesticating those kind of people. Take away their zeal, saying they need wisdom. Words like, oh, he'll be all right after a while. He'll cool down. And there are people here that are just that way also. I pastor people like that, although they're more domesticated than they are radical, but they still are radical with their faith. And they'll get domesticated, people say, sooner and later, sooner or later. And I'm looking around at another generation that's coming, this Gen Z generation, and I'm pondering some things. Maybe the Gen Z generation is a little bored. Maybe moms and dads thought that their kids would love them being just like they were, just kind of taking them to church and saying, oh, here it is, and not living this thing called radical faith. Perhaps I thought that. Perhaps all they saw was civilized Holy Spirit services. Perhaps they didn't see enough radical faith field, giving it all you got lifestyle. Perhaps. Perhaps when Billy's come along, we try to tame them down instead of say, ignite their fire, Lord, and set them down and let them receive a degree in religious studies, you know what I'm saying, and, and get the doctorate of it all. Billy did need some wisdom in some areas, but perhaps God didn't need the church trying to tame him down. Billy's still alive. He's still got a bottle of oil in his pocket. He's an older man now, but he still has a great lot of zeal. Maybe God wants our faith to be untamed sometime. Maybe God wants our faith to get out of the cage of fear, to get out of the cage of discouragement, to get out of the cage of holding back and say, God, you can do anything. Amen. We lose the simplicity of simple faith. Ephesus lost their first love. The Galatians left their first love. The Galatians were deceived by the serpent from the simplicity of Jesus Christ. And didn't John promise us that Jesus was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, wind and fire, wind and fire? We all know that prayer is talking about God, but why do we get so nervous when we hear someone say that not only did I talk to God, but God talked back to me. Why do we get nervous about that? Oh God, they've lost it. Get the people in the white coat and take them away. Why has the Almighty been saying to you lately, the most religious among us seem to doubt the most when someone says the Lord told me. I need to tell you. See, Jesus didn't die for us so we could build little heavens for ourselves. He died for us so we could expand his kingdom. He died for us so we would expand his kingdom. Jephthah, those that chose to join him were considered a worthless band of men. They needed to be domesticated. Neither Jephthah's brother nor his people needed him so long as things were safe and secure. Stop right now. But when the kings of Ammon came against the Gileadites, with armies, suddenly they needed this barbarian. A barbarian. That's what they called him. But they needed him. They needed somebody that said, I can go to war for God. They needed somebody that said, I'm not going to stay away when God needs his name to be protected. Somebody in this house needs to get a hold of what I'm preaching today. Get a grip on it and say, you may call me this or you may call me that, but I refuse to be a part of a church that's just civilized and domesticated. I want a church that's radical. Radical. Ah, 
Michael. I'm preaching about a God that caused a 90-year-old woman to have a baby. I'm preaching about a Jesus that walked on the water after he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes and bid Peter to come to him. I'm talking about a Jesus that can turn the apple cart of this world upside down. I'm talking about a savior that came to start a revolution of the spirit in our world. There are people who are marketing evil in our generation and they're doing it slyly. Folks, we're living in an evil time. Please stay with me. We're living in an evil generation and they're doing it so subliminally. They're doing it so subtly. But we are living in that kind of generation day after day, month after month. It's something every day. Something else is happening. Something else is happening. Who would you have picked to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ? Okay, who would you have picked? Would you have chosen to prepare the way for the Son of God? Who would you have picked? Who did God choose to represent him? His clothes were made of camel's hair. <laughs> his diet was locust and wild honey. And his belt was made out of leather. And when you had the preacher over for dinner, you had to go catch a bunch of locusts. You had to go catch a bunch and go get some honey and go find some camel hair if you wanted to bless him with his suit coat. Even in his day, he was sociably unaccepted. Please hear me. But his message was repent, repent. He called the preachers of that day a den of vipers. <laughs> he told them not to talk about their genealogy or who their father was. He said, I don't care who your daddy is. <laughs> if you even say Abraham, I don't care who he is or anyone else. The ax is laid at the root of the tree and there's one coming after me who's preferred before me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Mm. He said the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and if you don't repent, you're going to get cut down. In today's word and in today's religious establishments, he would have been called crude. He'd have been called bombastic. It had been called a nut, a renegade, out of line. But in his day, the whole region came out to be baptized at the Jordan. He didn't go get them. They came to him. And guess who else showed up? Jesus showed up. And Jesus got baptized. Because John knew who Jesus was even before he was born. He leaped in his mother's womb at the salutation of Mary telling Elizabeth, I'm, I'm holding the Christ child. Early on, so it was certain that Jesus was the Messiah, that he led his own disciples to be followers of Jesus. He said, go follow him. And when Jesus was baptized, a voice spoke from heaven and a dove descended. And the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the voice spoke directly to John. And John was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Messiah. And he addressed Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world and gladly let his men go and follow him. And John went to prison 18 months later. And Jesus went to Galilee to preach the good news to the people there. And in Matthew 11, John had heard in prison the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Are you he that should come or do we look for another? Stay with me now. John already knew all that Jesus was doing. But why would Jesus doing so much good jeopardize John's faith? Why? 
All these inspiring and amazing miracles did not eliminate John's doubts. It fueled them. And so Jesus said about him, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Can I stop and say, I don't, I don't know where your faith is today, but don't let yourself fall away on account of Jesus Christ in your life. Listen to me. Jesus is not your problem. Jesus is your solution. I don't care where you are today. Blame anybody, but don't blame the one up there. Throw it on me, throw it on the church, throw it on anybody, but don't blame him because he's come to give you life and that more abundant. He come to set you free. He come to loose the chains in your life. He is for you, not against you. He's a he's ahead and not the tail. He's above and not beneath. And he is your savior. Always cherish him as your savior. <laughs> Like if he does one more miracle, I'm out of here. Why would Jesus even consider that John might fall away because of all the miracles? Can you imagine someone coming up to this church and saying to this pastor, pastor, there's too many blind people getting their healing around here. If one more paralyzed person gets up and walks away, I'm done. <laughs> Let me stop and just ask you, anybody still rejoicing over Kelly Howard? Listen, stop, 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 stop. DOA when he got to the hospital. That means dead on arrival. And he's here, alive and well, and he's driving a car. That's dangerous, but he's driving a car. And he's walking, and he's out of rehab, and the doctors have given him a release. He's alive. Does that bother anybody? Does that bother anybody? Does it bother you? That Jason Kelch was falling 15 minutes from death when his wife discovered he had had an aneurysm, took him to the hospital. Five weeks later, he walks out. We still didn't know if he was going to be all right. And I think Jason played with us after he got all right, but he kept saying, you know, I don't know where I am. But he was fine, and he's fine right now, back to work, going strong. Does that offend you? Does that offend you? Come on, somebody. But pastor, you don't know where I am in my life. You see, I got all this on me. You listen to me. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Woo. <laughs> now I want you to package what you're doing right now and take it out there. Jesus died and rose from the dead so that you could live a life of endless comfort, security, and indulgence? No. If you'll just confess you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, you'll be saved from the torment of eternal hell, then go to heaven when you die. See, that's what refined and civilized churches teach and preach. That's a domesticated gospel. But Jesus left John in prison and went and performed miracles. Because he said, John, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to get you out of there. Your ministry is complete. I'm taking over now. You baptized, I fill people up. You baptized, I fill people up. So I'm not doing you any disregard because I'm not coming to get you out of there. 
I'm just taking what you have started and taking it to everybody that I meet. I'm here to declare the call of Jesus is far more than domestication. He never lied about the danger or cost associated with becoming his follower. He told him up front, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, John 21, this is pretty sad. He said, I say unto you, when you were young, you girded yourself. In other words, you dressed yourself. You walked wherever you wanted. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall gird you and carry you wherever you would not. And this spoke he signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter was crucified upside down, folks. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And here's some pretty plain talk. Peter changed the subject. He said, what about John the beloved over here? Not the Baptist, but the beloved. And Jesus said, if I want John to live or die, that's up to me. Your part is just to follow me. When you get civilized religiosity, it's as though some kind of union has negotiated the same package for everybody. Okay, we're going to have civilized church today. We're going to all smile. We're going to all hear the same sermon. We're going to get lined up again and walk out like wooden soldiers. No, 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 no. He wants you to walk out of here saying, I'm going to war. Listen, listen to me. Some of you parents need to look at your children and say, not my house, devil. Some of you parents need to look, you need to look at yourself and say, we're going to be examples for our children like never before. We're living in an evil generation and we can't be completely relaxed and say, "Mm, mm." you know, my weekend will be made great if the Cowboys win or if Texas would finally win or whatever. Or if the Astros would win. No, your weekend is great when you sign on with the fact that you're going to delight yourself in the Lord. Come on, come on. You delight yourself. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. No servant is greater than his master. Peter went on to talk what Jesus talked to him about. He said in 1 Peter 4, beloved, Think it not strange concerning fiery trials as to try you as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice in the fact as you're partakers in Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You know the Christian cliche is being in the center of God's will is the safest place to be. If being in the center of God's will is the safest place to be then why is the actual word for witness the word martyr? Tell Paul about being in God's will in the safest place in the world in the Mamertine prison. Wow. Now let me preach a little bit. Let me preach. Would it be neat if this church in the last days, stay with me now, became an experimental church? What do you mean, Pastor? What if we had some experiments and we went and did some things, we called it being innovators in the kingdom of God? What if we just didn't do, well, they're closing their church down, so we might as well close our church down. Well, they're stopping it over there. They're stopping it in that state. We might as well stop it in our state. No, 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 no. What if we became innovators? What if we stepped out and say, you know what? We're going to do it this way. This is God's way. Now, I haven't lost my mind here today. I don't, don't, I haven't lost my mind, but I'm getting a little radical in my faith because I'm tired of the world pushing on us and us not being able to push back. I'm a little tired of it. I'm a little tired of it. Did you ever wonder who was the first guy that ate a poison mushroom? That's a, that's a weird thought, isn't it? 
Better than that, why did he even eat a mushroom? I like mushrooms, but sometimes it, the, 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 the squishy feel in my mouth makes it feel like I'm eating a rubber band or something. <laughs> did you ever look closely at one springing up in the woods or in your front yard and ever thought, that would be good to taste? We always say, don't eat that one. It's poisonous. We say that. But what about the first man that ever ate one? Who, who was the first person to eat a cucumber? Or how about a squid? All of you fish lovers, raw fish lovers. Why did someone eat that first oyster? Ooh, I still won't taste them. But here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. In colonial America, tomatoes were thought to be poisonous back in the 1620s to 1763. They were grown as ornamental plants. They were called love apples. <laughs> and the odor of the leaves made people think that that tomato was poisonous. But Thomas Jefferson was a raising tomatoes in 1782, and most people of that century paid little attention to tomatoes because they just ruled it out that they were poisonous. And, and they put them in America's cookbook, and they said these tomatoes had to be cooked at least three hours or else they will, lose, they will not lose their raw taste and they will still be poisonous. You've got to get the poison out. But in September, either 1830, 1830, the year varies with different counts, a colonel named Robert Gibson Johnson, this is a funny story, purportedly introduced tomatoes to Salem County, New Jersey. <laughs> Despite the warnings that tomatoes' poison would turn his blood to acid, he told the cheering spectators that he planned to eat the entire basket and survive. Now, there had been a thousand stories about tomatoes being poisonous, but more than a thousand turned up to watch Johnson die after he ate those tomatoes. And he recited this speech. He said, the time will come when this luscious scarlet apple will form the foundation of a great garden industry and will be eaten and enjoyed as an edible food and help speed that enlightened day to prove that it will not strike you dead. I'm going to eat one right now. He had a physician there named James Van Meter, supposedly warned that the foolish colonel <laughs> is about to foam and froth at the mouth and double over with appendicitis. And the acid that's in these tomatoes in one dose and you're dead. And if a wolf peach tomato is too ripe and warm by the sun, he'll be exposing himself to brain fever. And should he by any unlikely chance survive, I must warn him that the skin will stick to his stomach and cause cancer. He ate that whole basket that day. And they say he lifted up his hands and said, I'm still alive. Hey, that had to start somewhere. Who, by the way, would eat, even think to eat caviar or snails? Did someone step on a snail and look down and say, well, I bet that thing would taste great if you cooked it. <laughs> Let's call it escargot. Erwin McManus has written some powerful books, and he came to the conclusion that someone ate these foods for the first time because they were hungry. They were hungry. They were hungry. Is anybody hungering for a move of God that would save your entire family from the perils of the end time? Come on now. We gotta get outside of ourselves. We gotta get outside of ourselves. I'm almost finished. Are you ready for me to finish? Let me tell you who Jesus was. Jesus was a mushroom eater. He was, he was an innovator. John was an escargot eater and a caviar eater. And they walked the road less traveled and brought us this good news. And we get it now. 
Folks, I remember a pastor in Odessa, Texas that baptized a man one day in water. And when the man walked in the water, he was possessed of spirits. When he walked out of the water, he was free because the water set him free. I used to have an evangelist that come here. Now, I'm, I'm gonna tell these stories. You don't have to believe them. It's all right. They're true, but you don't have to believe them. He used to come here. His name was Charles Mahaney. And Mahaney told us one day he used to baptize hundreds in prisons. And he baptized some one day in prison and they walked in with chains and when they walked out, the guards had to put the chains on them again because God wanted to show that whatever they were looking like is what he was doing on the inside. Mahaney said we had to put chains back on people. I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of your life, he sets you free. There used to be a pastor, he's gone, long gone now, Kilgore, that had a father that started a lot of churches around Texas and he was in Paris, Texas one day and we were gonna baptize a bunch of people and he walked into a pond that was full of snakes and when he walked in, all the snakes left and he baptized all those people and the sheriff told his son who told the story, 20 years later, the snakes never came back. <laughs> snakes hate water being turned into baptism water. Oh, I'm preaching to you. I remember this. I remember seeing a man in West Texas who had a son born with Down syndrome. I remember this. This is radical, folks. This is radical. It's radical. You may never come back and hear me again, but this is radical. Had a son born with Down syndrome, but they prayed for him when he was an infant, and God healed him, and he became almost a savant. He could play any instrument he ever picked up. He could sing like a bird, and nobody ever knew he had Down syndrome because God is an innovator. God's a mushroom eater. God wants to do things for us that only he can do. Can I tell you, I'm preaching about a God that let a 90-year-old woman have a baby one day. I'm preaching about a Savior that fed 5,000 and got on the water and walked on it to the disciples and said, Pete, come. I'm talking about somebody you can get out on a limb with. Woo! I was in a youth camp one time in West Texas and a preacher was preaching on hell. This is funny. And about the time he got to the punchline, lightning and thunder hit that place. And people ran over each other to get to Jesus that night. God let that man be an innovator. A bunch of us got saved and I was one of them. I got saved for the 18th time. I'm here to tell you folks, I'm not trying I'm not trying to make you think I'm just radical, but I am radical when it comes to this Jesus. I'm radical about him. I just think he can do anything. I think he can do all things. There is nothing impossible with God. All things are possible to him that believes. Randy, if you'll come, if you'll come, I'm done. Hey, Randy's an innovator. He's a mushroom eater. He got here before I asked him. I wish somebody would praise the Lord right now. Come on, magnify him, magnify him. Woo! One of the, one of the greatest influencers of my life was a man in Louisiana that was a powerful faith man. When he laid hands on people, they were healed. 
when he touched them, they received the Lord. He was just amazing. One of the most humble men. He lived to be 95. God let him live a long time. But he used to, have, he used to pastor a church in a, in, a, in a town in Louisiana, and people would come to that church to be healed. And uh, they would come in wheelchairs, and they'd walk out of those wheelchairs. They'd come on crutches. They'd come on beds. And they'd raise up and walk. And a, and a young man who grew up to be a preacher said one day he was playing in the back room of the church that that man pastored and he was crawling over crutches and getting in wheelchairs and doing spins, what you call them, them spins? Lean back, whatever you call them. And he said, it never dawned on me that the man that prayed for these people put all these chairs back here just as a memory of what God can do. And he said, I, I played on them and then it hit me. I'm walking in a room of formerly sick people. But I'm seeing the results. They're walking. Here's the, here's the sign. Here it is. I was preaching when I was a young man in Michigan at a, at a youth camp in Michigan and a little girl who had never walked in her life was rolled in. And I preached on faith one night to those young people. And I had nothing to do with it. I just preached the faith message. And they brought that young girl down. And nobody, nobody prayed for her. So nobody gets the award for saying, yeah, it's my hand. No. But I looked at her. And I saw her pushing up with her hands. Trying to get up. And all of a sudden, she just gave one final push. And stood up. And kids around her went absolutely crazy. Worse than a Texas OU football score. They went nuts. They went crazy. Because this little girl was standing for the first time. And so, no, no, you got to get this. You got to get this. I watched it with my own eyes. They wanted to lead her and help her. She said, get away from me. She put her foot out there, and it was a little unsteady, and she stepped, put her other foot, and by the third step, she was walking just like me. And you can go back. <laughs> See, that's what we have that can push back the night that's trying to destroy the church with evil. We've got something to push back with. We've got something to shove back with. We've got a God that can save and can heal and can deliver. And for several years, I'd check on that little girl. She's still walking. Pastor says she's still walking. I'd check again because I, it was, it was, I, was, I was so young to see that. But it happened. And so I'm going to use that as a metaphor for this church. Don't find yourself crippled in your spirit. Stand up. You got a hold of something greater than this world could ever put against you. Evil is coming, yes. Evil is present, yes. But God is for us. In fact, he told Abraham, 
when Abraham cut covenant with him back in Genesis 17, he said, I will be their God. Those that bless and believe what you did, Abraham, I'll be their God. So if you believe in Father Abraham, if you believe that God blessed him at 100 years old with a child named Isaac, if you believe that, if you believe that there's faith to be had in your life, I want you to push up off your seat and stand with me right now. Lift your hands all over the house. Come on now, let's lift our hands all over the house. Now let's clap them. Let's clap them real big. Let's clap them real big. Come on, let's clap them real big. Let's clap them real big. Hallelujah. Come on, clap them real big. Clap them real big. Clap them real big. Last Sunday, last Sunday was Get Involved Sunday. Today is get your radical faith stirred up. Believe that God can. Believe that God will. Believe that he already has. Believe he'll do it again. He's that kind of God. Raise your hands. I bless this congregation today, Lord. Wow. I'm excited. I'm excited that we are coming into the end time and we've got confidence in the God of heaven. Lord, allow this church to be a beacon, not only in South Austin, but in all of Austin. Not only in Austin, but in Travis County. Not only in Travis County, but the surrounding counties. Not only in the counties, but the state of Texas. Not only the state of Texas, but Oklahoma and New Mexico and Louisiana and Arizona and sea to shine and sea. Let this church, let this church's faith and its beacon shine for people to understand that there's a lighthouse in this world. That there's people that still accept you radically. And we're going to delight ourselves in you. We're going to honor you. And you'll give us a desire of our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Say, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap a little bit. Come on, rejoice with me a little bit. Come on, rejoice. Amen.